When I cleaned up and everything was getting better, I went to L.A. and I worked as a nanny for her daughter in the summer. Okay. And so we would go. She worked um, on, like, different TV shows. And so I get to go. She like, worked on Brandy exposure. and she worked on, like, Blossom and, like, all of that kind of – Yeah. So I would get to go. She worked on, like, LL Cool J show, like, stuff what? like that. So, yeah, we would get to go and, like, watch – I get to go there yeah. and see that. Did you get to meet LL Cool J? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Oh, no. Or Brandy? <laughs> I did get to meet, um, what's that guy's name from Family Matters, the Urkel kid? Oh, uh, Jaleel White? Yeah, I got to meet him and um, Will Smith. What? And um, Joey Lawrence. You know, like that. That's kind really of- cool. <laughs> this is Claim of Stories, a show about professionals working in the sportswear industry and the incredible careers they've been able to claim. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we dive into how Jocelyn Rice went from dropping out of high school and abusing drugs to becoming an apparel designer for women's and men's outerwear gear. Over the past 10 years, Jocelyn has been a pioneer as a woman of color designing apparel in the sportswear industry. Right now, she's an award-winning apparel designer at Columbia Sportswear in Portland, Oregon. Before that, she spent some time in Seattle working at Eddie Bauer and even worked at the Nike Employee Store. But Jocelyn's early years in life were filled with hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, more so than any other story that we've shared so far. In today's show, we share her struggle with self-worth and the instability of her childhood. She even recalls seeing a KKK sign-up go around her homeroom in Newburgh, Oregon. The experience in high school there, we were the first high, the first group of kids to go from junior high to high, to the high school where they did like 9 through 12. Mm-hmm. And there were no people of color that were at that high school. And so like... What was that like? <laughs> it was like... Uh, I remember once, like, a KKK sign up going around my homeroom. Like, this is in the 90s, you know? So it was, like, just really um, very strange. Weird. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, how did that impact you mentally from a safety standpoint? Did you feel comfortable? No, but I don't. I think um, I grew up, um, my sisters and I have a different father. And so I think I did grow up a lot in white spaces. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm also, like... So being uh, multi-racial, yeah. um, there's also, a, you know, um, things I think I'm still working through as an yeah. adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there wasn't a comfortability on either side, honestly. Okay. Um, but um, you, can't, you find your way. Yeah. Kinda. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure you had support from, from your family. Tell me a little bit about your mom and your relationship with your mom. Oh, yeah. She's like the best. <laughs> she's, um, she's always worked so hard. Um, and throughout all of her struggle and like just to watch her continually work and work and work Mm -hmm. to be better for her kids and be better for her community, um, is inspiring. She's a pediatric oncology nurse, Mm -hmm. um, and just watching her, you know, graduate, like when I, you know, like I'm a grown person, but watching my mom like keep pushing for that dream because she always wanted to be a nurse and Mm -hmm. she made it happen even through having five kids and like, divorce and like all of those things like she still made it happen uh, for uh-huh. herself and so it was a it was a big impression on you yes. growing up like you had a, a strong figure of success and hard work yes yeah definitely. and so how did that start to manifest you think like how did that start to impact you 
Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I don't, I really don't think I realized how, what an impact that had on me until recently. Mm. Um, we didn't always have the best relationship. Mm -hmm. I was um, a difficult child. <laughs> and I think not only just because of what my personality is, but in addition to just circumstances yeah. in which I grew up. Um, but um, she just never like gave up. Like mm -hmm. never, and to and and realize the importance of that. Mm -hmm. um, and she, I think re she was a late bloomer, and like realized her worth later. And yeah. I think I'm following in that path mm -hmm. of hers. Um, so it's really started to I've started to recognize how important all of those messages were. You yeah. know, as I'm yeah. kind of getting more into my groove. Absolutely. So. Uh, and so this next question, I know we don't need to get too, too deep into some of these things, but I wanted to ask you about the absence of your father in your life and how that impacted you. Um, I think most girls I know have daddy issues, mm -hmm. so you know, it kind of, <laughs> um, but it's strange I, um, not to have that growing up, um, not to have that, I, I think, male figure saying, like, you know, I talk to my girlfriends that do have just these amazing fathers and just how much they would build them up and, mm -hmm. like, tell them how strong they were and how amazing yeah. they were, you know? And so I think not having that has just led to some insecurities mm -hmm. um, and some choices that have been less than um, um, things I, I think I regret. Mm. Um, but did you, did you notice that when you were young? Like, was it as, like, now you're an adult and you can <laughs> think about those things. Did you... I guess, did you notice it a lot when you were growing up? Yeah, just because he was present. Um, okay. He, My stepfather, he was there. Yeah. He just was not a nice man. Mm -hmm. um, he was not a good man, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, and so I, I think just having that kind of presence for a while yeah. is, you know, would be difficult on anybody when yeah. you have, you know. Yeah, so. totally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're growing up, you're super young. How are you... You know, maybe you're experiencing a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. How are you? How are you coping with those feelings? Are you? Are there hobbies that you're putting your energy into? Like how? How are you navigating that? Um, I mean, I ran track. Okay. Um, I was in swing choir. Mm -hmm. I was in stomp group. Um, things like that. I did. I love to write. Like I've always loved to write, yeah. and it's something I still do. Like I journal a lot. Mm -hmm. Um. So and then I. I think the the want to to be like perfect at something mm -hmm. like I'm like a per, I was I was a per, I'm like a recovering perfectionist mm -hmm. and so then that drive to want to be perfect just led to like you know I started experimenting with drugs and like experimenting mm -hmm. with like psychedelics like and mm -hmm. I really liked that um kind of mind altering thing where felt. I didn't yeah like I didn't yeah. have to be perfect and yeah. like it was a whole different world and it wow. was just you know so yeah. like that experimentation like kind of led to getting loss of the hobbies and like going mm. down a different road you know yeah how young were you when when that was happening um let's see it's probably 16 mm. 17 yeah. yeah yeah pretty young yeah because i was out of that whole mix by the time i was 21 but yeah. it lasted for a little while for a little while mm -hmm. and so those were high school years right mm -hmm. and so I think I remember reading you went to three different high schools. Yes. How did you go to three different high schools? Oh, well, because <laughs> I, the one I left, so when we were in Nebraska, okay. the first one I went to um, 
we ended up moving in the middle of me being in high school. So then I went to Newburgh High. Okay. And then after being, it just wasn't a good fit. Mm. Um, and like I remember, <laughs> I would like consistently eat lunch in the bathroom stall because <laughs> like, I was like so scared to go really? out. Like it was just not good. You in the know? bathroom stall? <laughs> yeah. Because like, it was just like I was just scared. Mm. You know, like it was just, um, yeah, it was not. It didn't what, was, have... what was it that was, what were you afraid of? Um, people were just mm. uh, super nasty. Mm. You know, they would just say, I mean, real nasty things mm. and so um and you're there alone and like um it was hard to make friends and the friends I were making weren't the kind you wanted to make <laughs> you know so um yeah it was just like that's where I'm gonna be and so then uh, my mom was like this isn't working for you mm -hmm. here so I um went back to Nebraska okay. and the family that I had stayed with was a, a family we had known from church yeah and then I went but they wanted me to go to a different high school so I ended up going to that one which that was like it was okay. Like yeah. it wasn't, I felt like I fit there. Like that yeah. was cool, you know, but I didn't stay there very long. And then I went back to Nebraska yeah. for an, another high school. So, I mean, back to Newburgh. Another high school. So how, I guess, how were you dealing with this? Like, did you feel, were you able to grasp the importance of school and were you able to feel like you could lean into it? Or did you not really see the value because of a lot of the kind of switching? Yeah, I didn't see what the point was, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I clearly do now. Uh, <laughs> and I've made very good choices since then. But yeah, I just don't um, – It I hadn't – at that point, like my mom was working so hard being a stay-at-home mom. My yeah. dad was an engineer. Um, and so I – but there wasn't a lot of talk about education and there wasn't a lot of talk about like what's that next thing. It was just yeah. – the future to us was surviving from one day to the next. Yeah. Like that's what it looked like. Mm -hmm. So um, it just wasn't um, on my mind. It was just like, I just got to get up and get through the next day. Yeah. So education was just like, I know it I have to thing, do this thing. But it wasn't, to you, it wasn't critical to survival. Correct. Yeah. And so you ended up, you ended up dropping out. I did. Well, yeah. I mean, I basically got kicked out because I, <laughs> I just had really bad attendance problems, you know? And so I remember going in my junior year. And them to my to go into my senior year, mm -hmm. and them saying like you aren't a senior, like you didn't pass. And so I was like, I'm not gonna go then. Yeah. And then I just like dropped out and like disappeared for a while. Wow. Because <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna do that over again. So. Um, so what I guess in that time period, right? There's a there's a time period between that um, and when you made some transitions in your life. What were you doing? Um, I was doing odd jobs. I was doing a lot of drug experimentation. Mm -hmm. I was just, um, like, like I said, I was just one day to the next, just yeah. trying to get through, you know? Yeah. And, um, I mean, drugs are bad. Like that whole thing was bad. There was a level of like, it was the first time, unfortunately, that I felt like I could just be myself. Mm. Like in this world that I was creating for myself through yeah. that experimentation, which is not, I mean, I'm in no way condoning that or like no, saying yeah, that you, it was just the just, way that I was surviving, yeah. you know, and like it helped me to like kind of, I felt like survive. Mm. Um, I mean, it got to a point where I was stealing mm. and like, you know, like just, I mean, eventually it gets to that. I think. Yeah. It gets to a point where it gets out of control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it, it eventually gets there yeah. where it's completely out of control. And so at what point did you, 
you get in this in this space in your life where you're like, I'm ready to turn things around. Like I'm I I need to do something. Yeah, I think I I had missed Christmas. My mom just because I was so bad, like I wasn't treating her well, I wasn't treating mm. my family well, I wasn't treating myself well, yeah. and I, for her own protection and for the protection of her daughters, she had to say, I can't have you here. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to get the help I'm telling you to get. Like, you know, you're not, she she eventually had to do the hard thing and just say, you're going to have to figure this out because mm. I can't help you, yeah. you know? And That's so- be a tough space. Yeah, I can't, you know, imagine how hard that was for her um, and then, and for my family and then- um, I had missed a Christmas with them because um, I couldn't mm. be around, you know? Mm. And I remember calling and just like, actually my mom and she was like, are you off the drugs? You know, da-da, mm. no, you mm. know? Um, and then I had, um, I had broken into my dad's house because they were divorced mm-hmm. over a course of time and would like steal checks from him mm-hmm. to like feed my drug habit yeah. and like my friend's drug habit. And so he eventually clearly finds out yeah. <laughs> and like turns me in and oh, like, wow. so- um, I end up going to jail for that for a, for a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, I was fortunate enough that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah. And, um, so I would like spend every, um, weekend there for like a summer and then I would have to do, um, I had to pay restitution and I had to mm-hmm. do, um, community service and stuff for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, my mom's like, you can come home, but you have to like get a good, decent job you gotta clean and it you up. have to clean up, you, you know? Clean it up. And yeah. so for you, that's probably like, that was the eye opener. Yeah. It was like, uh, I don't want to do this. I want to be around my family. I, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And so it sounds like your mom was pretty critical here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <she's, laughs> she is. Yeah. Um, and so when you were starting to turn things around, I guess, what did you do? Uh, what was the job that you, or jobs that you went to go find to try to, you know, get you, get yourself in a, in a more healthy career direction? I mean, that took some time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those things don't happen over, you know, they don't happen overnight, you know? And so as much as I would like to, like some of the job choices were very poor, um, but uh, <laughs> I eventually got, cause I didn't have at that time, um, I didn't have a, I didn't have a high school diploma. Like okay. I didn't have anything. So it's like the jobs that I could get were like telemarketing yeah. or like I worked at a strip club, mm-hmm. you know, like just things to like help generate yeah, money. Yeah, income, right. And um, so I eventually go like when it was like a time when those bartending schools were like a big deal. <laughs> and so I like went to the bartending academy yeah. and like got my certificate and I got a job at a, as a bartender. Um, and that was like, oh, yes, you know, which is probably like one of the worst things an addict could do is like get a job as a bartender. But I was like, oh, it's quick money and like I can do this thing, you know. So yeah. that's where I ended up like actually getting like a good paying job. And so then at what point did you start to think you were interested in design and you've you've been interested in design for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm always I've been I feel like a creative person. I love yeah. the way clothing um, makes people feel like whether or not people say they think about how they dress we'd have to you know <laughs> you have to leave yeah. the house right I mean you don't have to but there's a societal <laughs> choice to leave right. the house with clothes exactly yeah. so it's always been intriguing to me and I always I've liked I feel like I play dress up like every day like I just love dressing up mm. um, and so it's always been something that I've been interested in mm-hmm. um, I just had never seen I didn't know that was a thing like, I didn't know you could make clothes for a living, or I didn't know you could. I mean, I, I guess that's not true. I take that back. I do. My aunt is a costume designer. And so oh, wow. uh, 
kind of rewind a little bit. Um, when I cleaned up and everything was getting better, I went to LA and I worked as a nanny for her daughter in the summer. Okay. And so we would go, she worked, um, on like different TV shows. And so I get to go, she like worked on Brandy exposure. and she worked on like Blossom and like all of that kind of, yeah. So I would get to go, she worked on like LL Cool J show, like stuff what? like that. So yeah, we would get to go and like watch, I get to go there yeah. and see that. Did you get to meet LL Cool J? <laughs> Oh, no. Or Brandy? <laughs> I did get to meet, um, what's that guy's name from Family Matters, Urkel Kid? Oh, uh, Jalil White? Yeah, I got to meet him and um, Will Smith. What? And um, Joey Lawrence. You know, like that. That's really of- cool. <laughs> well, you're saying it like it's like a regular thing. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> oh, right. my goodness. So, okay. And so, did you end up going? Did you end up going back to school to focus down a design direction or more into fashion? No. So I went um, back to school to, I got my GED through PCC. Okay. And then I was like, oh, like I just didn't know what to do. And yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a drug and alcohol counselor, like helping kids like mm-hmm. go, because I know what that's like. Or yep. maybe I'll be a probation officer. So I kept like making those decisions. And then um, I was like, oh, you know, I really, I hadn't had much connection with like, uh, one side of myself like and so I was like oh I'm gonna go back to school to be an African-American history professor and there was a teacher his name was Mr. Harrison Mm. in um, uh, African-American history like 101 you know and like just it was the first time that I had ever heard stories of black people that Mm -hmm. were like encouraging and like thoughtful it was like the actual truth versus what I had been hearing my entire life you know and so uh, we learned about the Harlem Renaissance movement wow and I hadn't, it's like so embarrassing thing. Like I hadn't heard of it before. Yeah. Um, and it was just like learning about like Augusta Savage and learning mm-hmm. about Faith Ringgold, who's one of my favorite artists yeah. of all time. And I mean, just learning about all of these incredible people and this movement that was just like, had like gone past the streets of Harlem into Europe, into right. like, it was just everywhere. It, it was widespread and people were coming from all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I was having a conversation last night with my wife. We were talking about time periods you would live in. And I said, mm. Harlem Renaissance. Oh, it's just, just because of that. And I feel like right now there, it's like, it's that level of resurgence. Like I feel, that's what I feel now mm. that like when I look at clothing and like when I look at the designers people are talking about and like the, the movements that are happening in design mm-hmm. it feels so and like in not only in clothing but in footwear in art in music and it's just the truth is being told in a way it hasn't been mm-hmm. in since then yeah you know so i think that when i learned about that movement i was like okay like i'm like i think i'm gonna go to design school and i talked to my mom mm-hmm. i talked to uh, my husband at the time and friends and they're like yeah you you should do this when we come back in just a moment how the Harlem Renaissance movement inspired Jocelyn to go to design school to pursue her career in fashion apparel design. Stay with us. I'm Bima, and you're listening to Claim of Stories. Hey, everyone. Support for Claim of Stories comes from Portland State University's Center for Retail Leadership. If you want to prepare for a successful career, they can help by creating hands-on learning experiences focused on innovation, collaboration, and thought leadership. Visit pdx.edu backslash retail dash leadership. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. So it's 2009 and Jocelyn is enrolled in the fashion apparel design program at the Art Institute in Portland, Oregon. Eager to learn and grow, she faced some creative pushback from her instructor. 
I'd never sewn. I never sewed anything, drawn anything. Like not. And I was like, I the art institute's the only place that's gonna accept me because like I got a GED mm-hmm. from a community college, and I've never touched a machine in my life. So I'm what good. was that like for you? You were remember getting exposure to some of these things for the first time. Were you were you excited or were you overwhelmed? I mean, it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's extremely exciting to learn something new, yeah. you know? Like, that's um, the best part. And uh, But my aesthetic and what I found to be beautiful and the way in which I wanted to show up in that space mm-hmm. was not what that institution at the time was interested in fostering. They had a very clear direction of which they wanted yeah for the students it was hard Mm -hmm. I remember once I it was in a drawing class and I had drawn this uh it was our final project and I had drawn a picture of myself on the floor with this like white mask on and like a gun to my head and like she ripped me apart Mm -hmm. for it like she just like she hated it so much Mm -hmm. like that that level of she wanted it to be more curated and mm-hmm. she wanted it to look like this particular thing and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And like that was when I would draw my croquis, it was the yep. same thing. Like they're too big. Mm. They're like you, they need to be very thin. Mm. They need to be um, like everything had to look a particular way. So yeah. it was like hot, like hard. Like I remember crying a lot yeah. in yeah. design school, I mean, but I, I think remember. a lot of kids do. <laughs> I went to, I was, uh, I did fashion merchandising, but a part oh, okay. of the curriculum was to draw croquis and all of the croquis were extremely skinny and extremely mm-hmm. tall. And I never understood why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Yeah. How I did understand. you do? I did okay. Like I wasn't Do you like, still draw? Mm, I still draw, but not yeah. in like that way. I draw more like if something comes to mind and there's inspiration, I'll do it. But I'm not like a regular, like in a regular habit every day of, of drawing something. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so in 2009, though, you did get a job at the Nike employee store in Beaverton. Yeah, I was so excited. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was like my favorite. It's probably one of my favorite jobs. Like, I loved <laughs> that place. It was just because so everybody's excited to come in. Yes. They're just like, oh, like, I've made it if I've got that. Pa-. Like, it was just such... It was dope. And I remember in the, uh, the <laughs> to get there, it was so rigorous to get this job. It was <laughs> like, it was just like we, we would, so it was, it was supposed to be a temp position okay. um, during like spring break. Yeah. So I remember we would, we had to sit around a table with like nine, there's two interviewers mm-hmm. and then there was nine or 10 people that we were up against for the gig. Oh. And we were all in a and room together. And they had us like answering questions. Like it was not, it was yeah. so crazy. And I, like you'd have, you'd hear somebody else's answer and you'd have to give an answer. Like oh, it was wow. like, it was just bonkers. I, I feel like I would have just given the same answer. <laughs> no, because I'm like so competitive. But I was like, no, if I give a better answer than that, like we don't know. Um, and like me, I end up getting it out of like, I can't remember how many they said they interviewed, like 200 people or something. It was just crazy. So it was super, and then like from that, so you get the temp job, mm-hmm. and then so I was working as um, a bartender at the time, mm-hmm. and I quit like a full time paid gig to like hope that they'll hire me Ooh. full, which is what I feel like when I think about like do that all the time because I feel like you just have to bet on yourself. <laughs> you have to bet on yourself, right? Like all the time, like every time. Like if I know words make worlds, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I can do this, I can do this. They're gonna hire me. There's no way they're not gonna hire me. Yeah. You know. So I quit that to do this job. Um, end up getting hired on permanently, which was great. But That's it was just great. like such. I remember in the mornings we would do, 
these huddles, you know, <laughs> where you'd like, you know, you'd be clapping and like, I, it was so, I really liked it. Sounds like, like you found community there. It was dope. I really, I wish it would have paid better because I would have stayed. <laughs> you would have stayed. Because it was so, and I, because I got hired on permanently yeah. after like all of that and the hustle. And so I get hired on permanently, but then it just didn't, wasn't going to pay my student loans. Right. And then I wound up getting a job managing the McMinimans in McMinnville. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I had to quit and take it. And okay. I remember telling Sangbei, his name was Sangbei, and mm-hmm. he was my manager. And I was just like bawling because I oh, wanted to stay. Because you so loved it so much. I really did. <laughs> I like cry about everything. But I was like, oh my God, I want to stay, but I can't. That's oh my just, goodness. So yeah. So at what point did you um, start, I guess, making some more relationships with people that worked in these industries? So maybe people that work in Nike or maybe people that worked at Columbia. How did you How did you get connected? I think through the bar, honestly. Like it oh, was because wow. there were so many people because you just have to talk to people all day, mm-hmm. you know, and like the people that would come into the bars I would work at, like some of them worked at Nike, some of them worked at Adidas, some of them had worked, you know, in LA or New York, like you just meet so many different people. So I just started asking more questions and doing like informational interviews and like kind of connecting the dots from there of like, oh, do you, you know, asking them if they would sit down with me, Mm -hmm. um, if I could show my portfolio and just kind of, and people always would. What was in your portfolio? Um, It was the school stuff. You know, it was like I had did a collection um, that was inspired by the Dinkin people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had that. I had um, some graphic design work. Um, it was like a typical school portfolio, yeah. I feel like. They were yeah. pretty typical back then, but there weren't <laughs> any sports-related things. So, yeah. And so you had done a lot of different informational interviews. You'd done a couple different internships. Mm-hmm. And then um, in 2010, you actually landed a role at Columbia Sportswear as a apparel designer? As an intern. Intern. Yes. Okay. So I got an What was that like? What was that exposure that you received in that role? Um, then it was like getting coffee for the senior designers. Yeah. It was like cutting, I remember cutting fabric swatches until like my knuckles would bleed. Oh, wow. Like I would be cutting swatches for all, for hours and hours. <laughs> it was the only intern for like all of outerwear. How many, so, like that's a lot of different probably teams to be supporting. Yeah. It was wow. nuts. It was, And it was really, it was good. It was just crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. But um, you were able to... Uh, but did you you were able to get some exposure and and I guess more one on one time with different designers then yeah oh definitely yeah. yeah it was very I mean I had a good work ethic and I mm-hmm. worked really hard and um I they saw that and within like t- not even two months they hired me on permanently um as an associate designer wow. there and I was working on like backcountry ski product had you what were your interests, I guess, from an apparel standpoint? Had you been interested in outdoor? Like, what was your connection there? There wasn't. No. I just really, I wanted to work at Nike so bad. Yeah. Like, I really, Nike or Adidas. Um, but I had always, I think the outdoors, um, we camped a lot growing up. So okay. we were like, didn't, I mean, we were like, not like, like, I don't want to say poor, but like, we were on, um, you know, we had public assistance like we just couldn't afford to do much you know and so like we would go camping a lot I remember my grandparents lived in um Seward or Seward Nebraska and like we would go and play behind in the rock quarry Mm -hmm. and like I was just outside a lot and I do love how it makes me feel and I could be myself in that space Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about noise yeah and so um I came that's why I love it or if it's just like walking down the street and enjoying my city I'm Mm -hmm. outdoors 
Um, I hadn't found much of a connection to the outdoor industry because it doesn't speak to people in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, It speaks to this more kind of like top of mountain um, thing. Right. Um, So it hadn't, I hadn't related to it in that way, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the detail that is needed to design high, that kind of product Mm -hmm. is intense. And it's almost like I loved couture in school. And like my whole collection was, um, hand sewing and couture techniques wow. and stuff. And so that level of detail in outerwear is mm-hmm. extremely critical, especially like I've designed like alpinist suits for Melissa Arnott and like oh. that detail is so important, mm. you know? And so I loved um, that aspect of it. Wow. And so you also ended up spending some time at Eddie Bauer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So what were you doing there? Um, that I was supporting the men's outdoor designer, outdoor designer, and then he asked if I would start designing the women's mm. products. So I got to design all of the women's um, technical product there. Wow! And so you were leading that. Was, yeah, which was awesome. It was like it was so. It was probably the, it's the hardest I've ever worked in on product mm-hmm. because it just wasn't a main focus at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was incredible. I mean, the people I got to work with were just spectacular human beings yeah. and the guides are so to have like I said to work with like Melissa Arnott or Lexi DuPont and like to talk to people who are the best in the best mm-hmm. of their fields mm-hmm. about why they're doing what they're doing what are their needs what kind of stuff do they just being able to ask questions yeah. makes the best product you know and we're all working together to make the product right, so it's super exciting goal. yeah it oh was amazing so what's uh, from from apparel designer perspective, what's like the day to day when you're thinking about when you're going to create um, a product? Where for you? Where where would you start? Um, I I just I love history so much, and so I always start there. Like yeah. I now design hunting and fishing apparel, and okay. I am really inspired by the Annabelle himself and like how enslaved communities found found each other within. Hunting and fishing. It was the yeah. only times they were allowed to leave their space unsupervised, quote unquote, and like use weaponry and like and like experience the outdoors without somebody there. Wow. And so that it's like so I just always start with the history of something because I think it's important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I got lost and forgot your question because now I'm just like in my head, like thinking about people. Yeah. Doing no. Yeah. Thing. So I was just curious to get your perspective on as a designer, apparel designer, where you start in that process when you, you go to create a jacket or you go to create a different garment, like where do you start? And so you were leading into your inspiration. Um, I think for the listener, what's like that, that day to day, like at a high level, maybe, um, for a designer. It depends on the time and the season really. Yeah. Um, but it's it's um, pro- high level. It is problem solving. Okay. It is leadership. Okay. It is organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it is understanding what priority, hmm. uh, where things fall in line and priority yeah. and being able to sift through that. Mm-hmm. Um, communication, like every day is all of those things. Right. Um, right. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and then I wanted to touch on a project. So you're at Columbia in 2017 mm-hmm. and you worked on this really special project that got a lot of attention. It was a women's project. Um, and it won gear of the year award. 
So that's Eddie Bauer. That's Eddie Bauer. Yes. Okay. Yes. So tell me about that project. Oh, so it was super exciting because it was a four women by women collection. Yes. So it was a pitch I had made to my boss and upper management to say like, we have never designed a women's only ski collection. Mm-hmm. And like, we have all these amazing women. How can we design something for her and not like a pink and shrink situation? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, pink and shrink. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, worked really hard with them to figure out what their what their needs were. Yeah. Um, the product developers were women. Um, the design director at the time was Angela Medlin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really fun to have her guys. It was the first, I mean, she was the first, that's the first time I've ever worked with a black woman in this industry. And I haven't since. Wow. Like in a decade of doing this, that was it. That was it. I haven't since then. Um, but to have her helping with that was incredible. Um, Cause she just was such a support mm-hmm. um, and really pushing that through. Um, I left before it went to production. Okay. But along the way, I mean, it's just so much, I mean, it's, when you're making product, it's so many people are helping, you yeah, know? there's so many parts involved in making mm-hmm. a garment. Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. And even, I mean, even just the designing aspect, it's not just you. It's like all, you're hearing from other people what's working and what isn't. And I remember one of my coworkers was like, oh, have you ever thought of trying it this way? And like, that's what took it to the next mm-hmm. space, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So um, it was just, it was incredible to work on something that, like I felt so strongly about yeah. and it was the first time as a designer I said I feel strongly about this and I'm going to push it and I'm going to push it and I'm going to push it and yeah. to have it happen mm-hmm. like that doesn't always happen but it did that time and it was great and to have that level of success and mm-hmm. seeing it in gear of the year and seeing it in like I was in like I opened Us Magazine and like the designs in there and like that just like <laughs> little amazing. things like that are fun yeah. to see after you work not only you but the people around you are working so hard yeah. to make that happen when you think about some of the challenges that you had earlier on in your in your childhood and then coming to a place where now your work's in magazines like how crazy is that for you like that's that's big (laughs) i i yes i think and you know it's just it's never just you right so but yes i yes i i have a really hard time (laughs) thinking um like um it is extremely exciting and it's extremely wonderful to um, be able to be at that point where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing this, I'm like doing this and I'm doing this for like multi-billion dollar organizations, you know, and helping shape ideas and Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on what the outdoors looks like or like what that product can look like. Mm -hmm. Um, It is really strange. Like I still quite (laughs) am not sure what's going on, (laughs) I think. But it's amazing, you know, you're doing it. Yeah. Um, One of the things I also... um, am inspired by in your path is uh, a lot of the work that you do um, in diversity and especially in connection to back to the industry, the sportswear industry that we work in. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a little bit about uh, what drives you there? What's what's really um, getting you out of the bed every day to focus on that? Because you could just be doing your job, but you're, you're really passionate about it. I am because it's like it is your job. Like if you get to this point or for me, for me I think I – there's no way I can't, um, I can like, it's part of my job to do that. Mm. Like you're working for these corporations that are so big and have such a foothold in the, in what outdoor looks like Mm -hmm. that it is my responsibility to come in and say like, it can look like this. And like, um, I'm trying to find my words (laughs) that it's just, it's the core of why I design product. Mm -hmm. Like I can't fuse, fusing, 
like equity work Mm -hmm. with apparel is like, that's like, I can do that. That's so exciting. And I'm super inspired by like what architecture does. Architecture Mm -hmm. is doing that in such incredible ways or architects, Mm -hmm. artists do it in such incredible ways. And I think sometimes in apparel, we forget, um, like we are designing things that every single person has to have. Right. You can't not have it. You can't. I mean, if you don't, you're going to be cold. Right. If you don't, you like can't go. I mean, it's just like it is every single person has to do that. Mm-hmm. And like um, there's a connection to an individual and who is that individual and like how are we speaking to those individuals. And, right. I, and so I've realized I can fuse those two things. Mm. And so I'm working with like Partners in Diversity, which is a really great local um, arm of the Portland Business Alliance okay. that helps looks to retain people of color here in Portland. Oh, that's um, amazing. Like what are, you know, they're doing a huge study on like why are people of color leaving mm. the state? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all know, but it'll be good mm-hmm. to have it in data mm-hmm. for these big businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I also work um, with Design Museum Portland on their um, content creation committee oh. just to make sure that we're getting into schools mm-hmm. and like talking to kids of color yeah. um, and being able to infuse those things is just, ex- it's just exciting. Like, I don't know what I would do without it. Yes. And it's, yeah, to see more. I don't, I don't want when I say I design hunting and fishing for people's reaction to be what it is. They look at me and say, what? Like, why? Right. Or that's weird. It's not. It's not. Like, it's, it's like, this is just, this should be commonplace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as we, think about here a lot of what we've discussed and and a lot of your journey Um, when you have advice for um, young people or professionals that are interested in getting this industry Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell them about how they can go about creating connections with professionals that work in sportswear like what would be some tips you might give um, I mean, they have such great tools now. You know, like LinkedIn, I think, is a really good tool to use of just to, like, ping people. Mm. I had somebody do that to me the other day of just, like, hey, can you look at my work? Okay. It was an easy way to do, you know, to give yeah. them feedback. So, like, that's a really great way. Um, even though networking and, like, going out to events is super hard, you only have to be there for 10 minutes. Like, try. <laughs> I hate networking. And I, I like, re- it's so hard to go out and do those things sometimes. But just... All you have to do is 10 minutes. Like yeah. if you can just slowly incrementally get yourself out. Right. I think that makes a big difference. Um, and just work. I think one of the biggest things I didn't realize until I got into the industry is that designing is leadership. Hmm. Like it's, you're leading a team. You're leading mm-hmm. a direction. You're leading um, a vision. Mm-hmm. And everyone is looking to you mm-hmm. to be a leader. And like I did not realize that until late. Mm-hmm. And so I think really reaching out to people that might not be designers. I'm mm-hmm. like, how can I work on my leadership skills or how can I work on my like creative strategy skills, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm also seeking out mentors in other places. Yes. Because there's so many other industries that we, like when we cross pollinate, that's when stuff really mm-hmm. hits. Yes. You know? Yes. So to um, kind of think outside of the box when you're looking for people to talk to, you don't always have to go to a designer. That was Jocelyn Rice. She's an apparel designer at Columbia Sportswear and has been at the company off and on since 2010. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Find out more about Jocelyn and get access to all of our episodes on our website at claimastories.com. And while you're there, please give us a review. If you'd like to connect, follow us on Instagram at claimastories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo and Adrian Anaya with music composed by VDOT of The Creative State. 
Thanks also to Oilang Maui and Caitlin Williams. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim Us Stories.